our sheet probably has like 20, uh, I would say like 24 different metrics that we look at that there are some that are more important than others. Um, but the, I guess the main things in, in an overall sense that I look at is I don't like assets that are, uh, that are like pre 1980. And so that's what in, in particular, when I'm looking at multifamily assets, I just, I, I feel like, you know, whether it's, you know, asbestos or certain types of piping or plumbing or issues like that, I just feel like it's a little high risk and it gets into like the more class C properties. So most of my investments are in like B minus to B plus type of properties. In some cases I'll do a, a type property. So first thing I would look at is the year that the property was constructed. And this is like quick, easy stuff you can kind of look at. Um, and then I'll look at the location and see if it's in an area that I would like to invest in. Is, if it is, is it in the path of progress? Is there population growth there? Um, and then as after I get through some of those things and it kind of fits those criteria, then I get down into more of the nitty gritty. And, and some of the big things I look at do change over time. Like, like these days, I'm very focused on the debt structure of deals. So more so than I was when I two years ago, I would say. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. My guest today is Dr. Sam Giordiano. Sam is a practicing gastroenterologist that is also an author, professor, and co-founder of the LP Deal Analyzer tool. In his free time, Sam is a passive real estate investor as a limited partner and created a tool to help him sift through the hundreds of pages of real estate, deal analysis, and legal information involved for every deal. After creating the tool for himself, he partnered with an experienced real estate underwriter to take it to the next level. They plan to continue to improve the tool and make it even easier for physicians like himself and other busy professionals to process private placement memorandums. All right, so uh, Sam, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Tricia, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time and it's an honor. Oh, well, thank you. So I want to start, so just give a little bit of background. So you are a practicing gastroenterologist and a passive real estate investor. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. basically I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I, um, yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey. So I did most of my, uh, you know, my formal education, my training in New Jersey. And um, I practice currently in New Jersey. Um, my wife and I met in training in uh in Philadelphia, and uh, and she was training there. She's also a physician, and then we we chose to kind of you know put plan our grounds in in New Jersey. So that's where we're living now, and that's where I'm practicing. Wonderful. So, what was going on in your world that um, you know you decided to start getting into commercial real estate investing? You know, where was your thought process of having a different income stream or just doing something with your money? 
Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't initially think about um, real estate investing probably till about four years ago. So um, I'm going on my 11th year out of training, which I can't believe how fast that goes. But uh, but so, you know, in the beginning, when you first get out, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, as many physicians are sort of up to their neck in student loans, and they're just trying to kind of figure out how to learn how to practice medicine. And so the first couple of years, it's really just about focusing on paying off some of your consumer debts, if you have any, and then getting a head start on the student loans. And then for the most part, a lot of physicians are maybe contributing to some pre-tax retirement accounts and, you know, three or 401k or 403b. And, and eventually I would say maybe four or five years out, thankfully I had the loans paid off my student loans and started focusing on more on investing in some taxable investing accounts, like outside of my retirement accounts. But there was a point, I would say probably in that six to seven year range where I felt like I was getting a little too heavy in terms of my allocation uh, to the stock market and to typical equities. And in addition, around 2017, due to some tax law changes in New Jersey, where we couldn't deduct our state and local income taxes, uh, my wife and I kind of had a pretty eye-opening experience that particular tax year when we couldn't deduct that. And and uh, so I was like, you know, even if we can't change, because we both are happy in our jobs and we're both W-2 employees, so we don't have a lot of wiggle room in terms of that. But I was, you know, we were talking that even if we can't change our employment situation to what that may be a little more tax advantage that say like a business owner or something like that, um, we were trying to figure out ways to diversify some of our income streams in a way that we could add additional income that may not increase our taxable income per se. And the number of people kept bringing real estate up. And so, you know, initially I thought about actively involved, getting actively involved in real estate and maybe, you know, buying like a, a duplex or a quad or a small multifamily that, you know, I, I manage myself or along with a property management company. And then um, after looking into that for a little bit, I then kind of transitioned to looking into some term turnkey properties. And you know, being in New Jersey, a lot of these are out of state properties. And I had one or two buddies that had done turnkey properties and had a couple negative experiences with some of the property management uh, companies and, and taking advantage of them in some ways with them not being local to that area. And so I kind of transitioned off of that, you know, shortly thereafter. And then I then stumbled upon real estate syndications and passive investing in real estate. And it kind of hit a nerve in that I was like, you know what, I think this is definitely something that could work for us. Um, I was a little, yeah, you know, I was taken back by some of the investment minimums that some of these private private placements have at the time. So I uh, I really kind of dedicated myself to education and, and, and really kind of diving into these passive investments and real estate syndications. And that was back in 2017. So I dedicated an entire year to the education process just because there was, you know, since the minimums were so high, I wanted to make sure I wasn't stumbling over things that I may have been able to avoid. And since then, I'm, I've now done probably close to 12 or 13 syndication investments uh, over the last four years. So that's primarily the way that I invest in real estate, but it has been a great diversification of my income. So um, I'm going to ask you this so that, you know, we, we get to your tool, but, you know, when you got your first private placement memorandum, what, how did you feel? <laughs> overwhelmed, uh, really overwhelmed. It's, uh, it's, 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 you know, there's, 
like initially, and, and it's just even the whole process, right? Like now I'm probably on the list to maybe like, I don't know, 50 to 70 syndicators that I've talked with over the years and that I've just interacted with or had some personal recommendations from friends. So, you know, it's once you have that conversation, it's fairly easy to get on these lists. And so I probably get like 10 or 10 or 12 deals a week from these syndicators. So now I'm used to the sort of introductory component where you may get like an email and then the investment summary that's kind of like a 50 page thing. And even that in and of itself is overwhelming. I mean, you're, you know, you see these pretty pictures and like, oh, it looks nice and those kind of things. But then when you get into the legal stuff, like the, the private placement memorandum, you know, if there's any operating agreement or any other sort of sub components of it, um, and some of the other documents are like, man, I don't really understand a lot of this legal stuff. So it took me a while to really like hone in on what's the standard legalese and then what sections to pay attention to. And, and, and we're actually forming like a video course where we go over some of that in more detail for that exact reason, um, specifically looking at, you know, the PPM and, and the documents and kind of where you, what sections you need to pay attention to. But in the beginning, Four years ago, when I was looking at these things, I was like, man, what am I even reading? Um, but yeah, it can be overwhelming. It really can. So then the LP deal analyzer tool was born from, from all of this sort of frustration and sifting through hundreds of pages of uh, real estate analysis, legalese, and all of this. Yeah. How long did it take you to, to put this the, the first version of your deal analyzer tool together after you were trying to sift through all this information, how long did it take you to, to put it together? Yeah. So basically, you know, the interesting thing is like all through my education experience, meaning like, you know, whether it's high school or college or medical school or whatever it is, I'm a visual learner. So whenever I had to study for a test, I would kind of make like a one page sheet sheet or, or something like that to where it, it, it gave me a way to sort of edify all the knowledge in one place and that I could then visualize that during the test to kind of figure to, to where it sort of organized it in my mind of, of what I needed to remember or some salient points that I knew might be tested on. So I used that sort of that familiarity I had with that method of visually studying to when I was using that year to kind of educate myself on syndications and some of the nuances and what you need to pay attention to, I basically did something like that, but in an Excel format. Um, so anytime I would read, you know, I probably read 15 or 20 books on real estate and syndications and been active on like my real estate forums and listened to a ton of podcasts. And anytime I would come across like a tidbit that was really interesting, thing or I would put it in like a Microsoft Word file and then figure out if I could then create that as like um, sort of an objective criteria to look when I'm looking at deals. And then I would then transport that over time into an Excel file. So I was really doing that simply to edify my own knowledge and then give me sort of something to look at when I do get that investment summary or when I do get that PPM that I can kind of look at, you know, cross-reference it with, with that sheet to see if there's any obvious like risk points or red flags and deals. So I started the inception of that, that first year, but the intention all along was really just to kind of help me so that I don't really like make a significant mistake in some of these deals. Um, even though, you know, there's other, you, you could always make a mistake and things can always go wrong, but I tried to 
take out as much as those clear of those real clear risk points by having a sheet like that. Um, and then when I was involved in those forums, uh, I would say probably like 2018 or 19, as I was investing in more syndications, I would bring up the sheet I use in sort of in cursory conversations in those real estate forums. And there was a time where I discussed it that the next day I probably received like 50 to 70 private messages um, <laughs> asking me asking me to have access to that. And it's not that I wouldn't share it. I'd be happy to share it. But it was just I didn't want to take the responsibility of, of course, sort of right. using my sheet to guide other people's investments. But <laughs> But when I saw that kind of demand for a product like that, and that's kind of why I created it, because there wasn't anything like that, then I decided to get to more to formalize like sort of a business structure, and 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 that's when I partnered with my my current partner, who's like a master underwriter for a lot of these deals, and and we formed the sheet together and made it more professional, and that's how sort of the passive advantage whole concept was was formed. But that wasn't the intention; it was really just to make something. And help me when I was looking at deals, you know. Well, and it's very reasonably priced at two hundred dollars. I mean, I think that's that's like, I mean, that's less than an hour of your time, you know. If you, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and that's what that was our intention is really to try to make it approachable. Um, you know, I, I, I have, I work at a hospital that has like seven hundred physicians, and. I polled them as to how many physicians are familiar with like passive investing and syndications and things. And of those 700, I think there was seven that said they were, they have heard of it or they're familiar with it. So that <laughs> so there's this huge, like un, unmet need. I feel like in the physician world where more physicians should get, um, should get involved in this kind of thing. Um, but, but anyway, when they would come to me and want to learn about this, I would have to have, I felt like I was having the same conversation over and over. And now when I created something like this and then our website, then I can point them to a place that can sort of direct them a little bit easier and, and then, then they could sort of have something objective to look at. So let me ask you two questions. So when you get, a um, you know, information on an opportunity, what are the first three things that you look at that kind of weed out? you know, before you're like, okay, this is worth me spending more time on. Yeah. So, I mean, so our sheet probably has like 20, uh, I would say like 24 different metrics that we look at that there are some that are more important than others. Um, but the, I guess the main things in, in an overall sense that I look at is I don't like assets that are, uh, that are like pre 1980. And so that's what, in, in particular, when I'm looking at multifamily assets, I just, I, I feel like, you know, whether it's, you know, asbestos or certain types of piping or plumbing or issues like that, I just feel like it's a little high risk and it gets into like the more class C properties. So most of my investments are in like B minus to B plus type of properties. In some cases I'll do A, A type properties. So First thing I would look at is the year that the property was constructed. And this is like quick, easy stuff you can kind of look at. Right. Um, and then I'll look at the location and see if it's in an area that I would like to invest in. Is, if it is, is it in the path of progress? Is there population growth there? Um, and then as after I get through some of those things and it kind of fits those criteria, then I get down into more of the nitty gritty. And, and some of the big things I look at do change over time. Like, like these days, I'm very focused on the debt structure of deals. So more so than I was when I two years ago, I would say. Um, 
But these days, based on the interest rate environment and things like that, I'm much more focused on figuring out the nuances of the debt structure, in particular in like a multifamily deal, as opposed to I was a couple of years ago. So it's kind of like a moving target based on the economic environments and trends. Right. Um, so then uh, my next question is, um, do you ever go and tour the properties before you invest in them? Like, do you go visit, you know, buy them, visit them? I have not yet. I probably should at some point. I think, you know, so what I've, like I said, I've invested probably in like 13 or 14 deals. And um, most of the deals at this stage, I, uh, you know, I, my, it's not always the minimum, but it's kind of in that lower, you know, the, the low towards the minimum range for the sake of diversity. But I'm not nuts. You know, so there, there's pros and cons to that. Some of it is that, you know, depending on the deal, you may get a large amount of K-1s at tax time. And even though I have an accountant that does that, you have to kind of weigh the benefits of diversity versus all these K-1s. It's the same thing when I look at like an individual deal versus a real estate fund. And that's the same sort of pro and con you would think you have to look at in terms of the tax treatment of that. Um, but eventually, I would like to transition to maybe putting a little more in individual deals, but maybe being a little more specific in those deals. Um, so when I do that, I think there's a higher likelihood that I'm going to go then tour the actual property and meet with the operator and stuff like that. But I have not done that yet. Most of my properties are, are outside, way outside in New Jersey. So I don't really have any local to me. Um, but eventually I think I'll probably do that, uh, to, to go tour them, especially when we start kicking up the amount that we're investing in each individual deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so your co-founder Terry Kiffin, this tool that you developed. So, what did he? What was the first thing that he added to it to to make it better? Yeah. So, um, you know, at the time, I had already invested in a in, in a decent amount of deals, and I had asked some syndicators, do they have people they would recommend that are nuanced at the underwriting and using Excel? And his name came up from a few different syndicators. And so I reached out to him and told him about my idea and told him about the product. And he, he, he doesn't take on a lot of projects um, just because he has, you know, he's tied to some family offices and he works for like some private equity companies and stuff, but he loved the idea. He's like, this is awesome. Let's totally do this. I, I, I think this is going to be great. It's, there's not, there's something like that, not out there right now. And I think it will add a lot to limited partners. His main skill is that I know Excel, like, you know, a decent level, but I'm not like nuanced at all the idiosyncrasies and the VBA and other things that go behind the scenes to where you really get into the nitty gritty of Excel. Um, I knew what it was and I knew kind of what I wanted the sheet to turn into and what features I wanted to have, but I didn't know how to do that from a technical standpoint. So his technical ability and specifications sort of far outweigh, out, outreach what I could do. So he definitely brought that to it. And there were some things that I wanted, but he would say, you know what, we, we have to do this or it may cause a glitch here. So so he would kind of go back and forth and rein some of the ideas in that I'd still like to implement in the next iteration of the sheet at some point in time that I think would be really cool. Um, but to me, it's all about making our sheet and we've done, we've tried to do it as best as we can. But to making it, uh, taking out the manual component as much as we can and to try to make as many things automatic as possible. Because uh, I think making it easy is one of the more important things that you can do uh, to, to increase the ease of use and, and the usability and those kind of things. 
yeah now as you guys keep going you could like get an app on a phone <laughs> that's true yeah we're we're, we're talking about it we're, so we're probably going to come out with one more iteration of the excel sh sheet but we are in contact with a few different software companies to try to uh, to try to figure out a way to do it in like a web-based type platform that would make it easier to do updates and may make it um, you know easier on the back end. And then you could integrate some other market metrics and things like that. Like currently, you know, the, the three main components of, of the sheet and of the, of, of the evaluation, um, which isn't a novel sort of thing, is like the sponsor, the market, and the deal. And generally in that order, Definitely the sponsor is the most important right. component of the evaluation, but often it's the most difficult to objectively evaluate. Um, but there are components of things that we like to see in sponsors and we have those outlined in the analyzer. Then the market is very important as well. Now we go over the particular key market metrics that we look for and then what criteria, uh, and then based on what where that market fits, it does give feedback. But the thought is that eventually we'd like if somebody places a property zip code into the sheet, that eventually we'd like those market metrics to sort of auto-populate that section to where you don't have to go look at census.gov or city data or any of those things that you look at to kind of get a better idea. So we have we have sort of ideas as to how we can make this as um, uh, much easier from a usage standpoint, even though it's easier as it is, easy as it is, but we want to just make it even better. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Fascinating. Well, I'm going to move into the Q&A section so we get to know you a little bit. That's all right. Sounds great. All right. So what was your first job? My first job. Uh, so my first job is I worked at uh, Hers Potato Chips uh, in the warehouse. Um, and uh, you know, this is way back when. And I would basically be a warehouse worker. So where we were, uh, you know, people would people who the truck drivers who would come in and place their order we'd get little order seats and then we'd run around the warehouse and put them on a conveyor belt. And then they would load them up into their truck. Wow. It was a great job. It's, it's, I haven't thought about that place in a while, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see like, you know, it, it's not like a, an overt blue collar job, but I, it was good to get experience and some of that components even, um, of sort of being like doing some blue collar, some manual labor, uh, especially at a young age to see yeah. the pros and cons of both types of work. Absolutely. I agree more. Uh, what would you be doing for a living if you were not a physician? It's a great question. Um, I mean, at this point, I probably would do something real estate based just because I like I truly love what I do as a physician. And if you if you ask me if I would do it again, I definitely would do it again. So um, I feel blessed to be able to say that uh, the job I have, um, I'm, I'm very thankful to do and I don't envision stopping it. Um, I do like having the, I do am very impassioned with the real estate stuff. And it, it's something that I want to learn about all the time, even irrespective of whether or not I have like a website and a business that sort of coincides with it. But just, it, it's just something that I, I'm sort of, I've grown a, a passion for. So I would say maybe something in the real estate component, but I think I would, uh, if I could, if I had to do it over again, I'd become a physician again. I really feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's oh, great. Um, what is every, what is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? So in the morning, uh, the first thing I do prior to even getting out of bed is I start to, uh, I, I sort of think about all the things in my life that I'm thankful for. 
Um, and I try to sort of really sort of think about it and, and, and not just think about the words of it, but really meditate on why I'm thankful for it. And, and I feel like starting my day with gratitude, um, sort of changes the attitude about you, how you go about your day and how do you, how you relate to people. And it gives you an appreciation. It makes you maybe a little, um, a little more tolerant if you, if you get a little traffic on the way in or you catch a little more lights or um, for, for the typical life things that can get in the way. Um, so I think that from a mental health standpoint and from an outlook standpoint, it's probably one of the most beneficial things. But um, I, I do exercise uh, not always daily, but I try to do it at least four times a week. I think that's very helpful as well. Um, and sort of pray and stuff like that. So I, I would say those are some of the big, the big categories of things that I do uh, to keep up with some of my health, mental and physical. What are, who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration? Yeah. So, um, right now I am reading, uh, so there's a few sort of deal evaluation, real estate books out there that I really like. And, um, James Condesami uh, had a real estate uh, valuation book that I read maybe two or three years ago. So he came out with a new version of that within the last uh, month or so. Uh, so so that's that's what I'm reading. It's sort of a physician's guide to passive real estate investing. So even though a lot of this stuff is definitely sort of redundant a little bit in, in terms of what I've known, you know, all the stuff that I learned over the years, it's always good to kind of get a feel out there for for what other people are reading, get a, get a pulse on the market. So that's, that's what, that's one of the books I'm reading at the moment. Wonderful. Okay. So I have two questions. Usually I just do one, depending on if you are just an investor or a uh, clinician, but you're both. So you're going to get both. <laughs> okay. Uh, sounds good. Do you think a person is born with the desire to heal or is this learned through their training? Yeah, I think, I think the answer is both. Um, I do think there are people who are innately born to be uh, to be better physicians, um, to to where they're more focused on uh, the patient and the healing and 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 those components. So I do think there is an innate component to it. Um, since it's a since it's a specialty that that can be financially rewarding for some, there are some people who unfortunately do it for the wrong reasons. They usually turn out to be good physicians and can practice, but they may not have it in their heart as a passion to, to like what they can help people with, but they can learn, um, they can learn components of that. But I do think a large percentage of that is inbred. And some of that is also not so much like learned in like med school and stuff, but learn from your parents. I think being someone who, I think it, it all starts from being someone who can be empathetic to other people. And there, and that's often, at least my experience, learn from your parents um, at a young age. So, so there are patients who are innately more self-centered, and it's harder for them to see uh, to see the other person's perspective, the other person's point of view, and to kind of put themselves in those shoes. But being a good physician, being a good healer, all starts with that as a foundation. And um, so, I think it's a little bit. I would say a little bit of both on that question. Well, Hopefully same, that wasn't a cop out. No, no, it's good because it's, it's kind of the next one is: Do you think leaders are born or trained? <sighs> I think that leaders probably are born. I think it's more so on the leadership component that it's more so born. But 
it, it, the interesting thing is that there's not there's a lot of similarities. Like I think good leaders relate to people and and can can put like if you're if you're standing above someone and you're trying to lead them, it's going to be a lot more difficult than to being at someone's level and to try to be understanding of the situation they're at and to make you you feel approachable and to you know show sh- I, I think I think leaders better le- good leaders basically kind of are able to emulate what it means to do what someone should do as opposed to having to specifically tell them like I want you to do this and if you're having to do that you probably have to kind of look inward and try to figure out ways that you can be a better leader oh, I like that answer I like that a lot well thank Sam, this you it's been a wonderful interview I really appreciate your time I know it's very late in the day for you so I I, I appreciate the you taking the time to to do this and to share with my audience this wonderful tool, which I think many of them, uh, you know, will use and it will help them. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully, I've brought a little bit of value and uh, happy to help in any way I can. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, thanks, Trisha. I really appreciate it. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.